0: Well, Easter is upon us. And in addition to an Easter service, many of us have Easter traditions. My family's in town, extended family, and after, usually we have some sort of big Easter brunch. So I'm looking forward to big Easter brunch after this talk. In fact, I might just shorten my talk so I could go have uh, Easter brunch. Probably, oh, I got an amen from the crowd. That's not a good sign. You ever wonder all these symbols in Easter? You know, where did we get this concept of the Easter egg anyways? Well, my good friend Wikipedia helped me out with this. The Easter egg, the egg was used in ancient times as a symbol in the spring of new life because the egg was supposed to represent the rebirth of the world. And we see a spring as the trees and everything go on. Well, the Christians co-opted the egg and they saw in the egg a picture of the rebirth of man. Actually a mini example of the tomb And new life, new man, springing out of it. So that's really where the Easter egg came into this whole Christian thing. Many of us do an Easter egg hunt. I know if anyone still does an Easter egg hunt, we do an Easter egg hunt. And as you know, there's a lot of different eggs, and you go around trying to find the egg, and there's a little candy inside of the egg, right? And some eggs have better candy, and some eggs have worse candy. And so you want to try to grab as many eggs as you can so you get as much candy. Well, I'm excited this year, because I want to spice things up a little bit with our Easter celebration. What if we put in some things into the Easter egg hunt that were just flat out nobody wanted? So people would try to avoid those eggs. Okay, I even gave you an example of a couple eggs I'm gonna institute into our Easter egg hunt just a little while from now. Kid comes along, grabs this yellow Easter egg. He gets some bolts, huh? How about that? I mean, everyone needs bolts. Maybe there's a hardware issue, a decking issue, right there in the Easter egg hunt. Okay, I've got another one. This one's very exciting. Here you go. Someone comes along, gets this Easter egg, and what do they get? A lump of coal. Isn't that great? I think that'll go over very well with the Easter dress. Don't you think so? Okay, this one is really my favorite. I'm really excited about this one. I think this is, tops all the other ones. You're going along, and you get an Easter egg, and you pop it open, and what do you get? But a bill for my dry cleaning. <laughs> huh? Isn't that great? You go in looking for a, Snicker, a Snickers, and instead you get a $31 bill from Zoots. And if they can't pay it, well, they just hand it to their parents. It's a great idea. I'm very excited about this Easter egg hunt. But why do I go off talking about these things? The reason is that whole Easter egg hunt is about expectation. What will we find when we get there? And I wanna suggest to you that this passage is about expectations as well. Different people coming to the tomb with vastly different expectations. Whether it was the Roman soldiers, or it was the women, or even Jesus himself. And what we discover is that their reactions are totally different based on the expectations that they have. What I want to do is I want to see the resurrection, this account, through their eyes. I want to see through their eyes. But I want us to do something else. I want us to go to the tomb today. I want us to venture, to see, to bring our own expectations. Because the reality of life is the answer to the riddle of life lies in what's in that tomb. The path of life leads into the grave on Friday and comes out on Sunday. And we must travel that path if we really want to find what we're looking for. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to look at this passage through the eyes of these people. The first people we're going to look at are the Romans. Okay, the story begins here and we see that the Romans are already there. Why were the Romans there? The reason they were there was Jesus was crucified on Friday. But the Pharisees came to Pilate and they say, look this guy said he was going to rise from the dead on the third day and the disciples may come and steal the body and if they do so you're going to have an even bigger problem than you had when he was alive and so Pilate went ahead and dispatched a guard to protect the, uh, the tomb and to make it as secure as they know how as, as he knew how as they knew how and so we know there were at least from the Greek we know that at least there are four guys there Now, however, if the issue was the disciples might come and stole the body, well, there were a lot of disciples. So my guess is Pilate had a lot more guys than just four there. But we really don't know. Now, they were guarding a tomb. If you'll recall, Jesus was put in a tomb on Good Friday. Joseph of Arimathea came asking for the body and came and took the body. And he carried it to his own tomb that had been cut into the rock. See, no one was buried in those days in the ground. Instead, they were put into the rock, into tombs. And Joseph of Arimathea was a rich man, and so he obviously had a pretty rich tomb. He probably would have been able to go in and walk inside of that tomb. And we see in other gospel passages that Joseph and Nicodemus embalmed Jesus' body with about 100 pounds of aloe and myrrh. And they wrapped it in linen spices, and they put the body into the tomb. And then they rolled a stone on it. Now, based on the Greek, this, this tomb was a little bit on it. There was a hill right here. And keep in mind, graves were designed so that no one would ever get in them. So we see here that this was a big stone. This stone was probably three to 4,000 pounds, about the weight of a mid-sized car. And they had it on an incline, and they would roll it. It would be in a groove to go ahead and sit there. But the only way to get it out would be multiple men with levers working to get this giant stone out. And so the guards came, and the guards had one job. Guard the tomb. The guards weren't looking backwards. They were looking outwards. See, they didn't need to look backwards because dead guys don't come alive and move 3,000-pound stones. What were the Romans' expectations? There was none. None. And that's why it was so amazing when the angel of the Lord came. And in the original language, literally picked up the stone, carried it away from the the tomb and put it down and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning. His raiment, he was this unbelievable picture. To see someone grasp this, what 20 men couldn't do to pick it up and set it aside, it says that they shook and became like dead men. You see, they feared because they had no expectation. The guard's purpose was restraint, but Jesus' purpose was resurrection. See, for many of us, we're kind of like the resurrection of the guard. Excuse me, the the way they see the guard sees the resurrection. We don't want to look backwards, we want to look forwards. We want to explain away whatever happened there, but we can't explain it away. We have to look at it honestly. In fact, some of the brightest minds of our time and in the past have taken a look at the reliability of the resurrection. Let me give you a couple of them. Hugo Grotius was a noted jurist and scholar whose works are of fundamental importance in international law, according to the Encyclopedia Britannica. He wrote Latin elegies at the age of eight and entered Leiden University at 11. He is considered the father of international law. And he also wrote the truth of the Christian religion in which he legally defended the historical fact of the resurrection. Lord Calcedo was Lord Chief Justice of England who said that an overwhelming case for the resurrection could be made merely as a matter of strict evidence and that his resurrection has led me as often as I've tried to examine the evidence to believe it is as a fact beyond dispute. Finally, Simon Greenleaf, was one of the founders of Harvard Law School. He is also the author of the classic three-volume text, A Treatise on the Law of Evidence, which is still considered the greatest single authority on evidence in the entire literature on legal procedure. Greenleaf literally wrote the rules of evidence for the US legal system. He was also an atheist until he accepted a challenge by his students to investigate the case for Christ's resurrection. After personally collecting and examining the evidence based on the rules of evidence that he helped establish, Greenleaf became a Christian and wrote the classic Testimony of the Evangelists. Greenleaf concluded that the resurrection of Christ was one of the best supported events in history according to the laws of legal evidence administered in the courts of justice. Went to Bush Gardens on Wednesday. Good time, kids were out. Went to go ride some roller coasters, right? Great time, went with the kids, and you know, Busch Gardens has some of the fastest, biggest roller coasters out there. So it's natural that some people would have some fear and trepidation, such as myself. (laughs) Strapping oneself to a golf cart and going 250 feet in the air and hurtling down at 60 miles an hour seems like a little bit of a crazy thing, right? But my kids are straining at the leash, so there we go. We go ahead and get in line. You know, the lines were really long. And so I had the opportunity to people watch, and there were two types of people, those who were really excited and those who were very nervous. And as we got closer and closer to the time that you know, those shoots where you were to get in, I saw more and more nervousness, and more than one time I saw somebody just literally get out of line and start walking back to where they came from. And I wanted to say to them, look, look, don't do that. Don't do that. Just hang on. Just go through. You'll enjoy it if you just get on the ride. But they weren't willing to do it. See, in many ways, that's kind of like some of us who come to the tomb today. See, for some of us, coming to church is kind of like a trip to the doctor. You know, it's our biannual checkup. Hey, is he still in the tomb? Yeah, I think he's still in the tomb. We come, have a checkup, and then we get out of here. You know, it was Woody Allen that said, I'm not afraid of death. I just don't want to be there when it happens. And yet, you come. Why? Why do we come? I think the reason that we come is that someday we know that we're going to have to go into that tomb ourselves. Someday, our number will come up. Isn't our entire lives an attempt to try to stave off death? Think about it, we accumulate money and possessions to try to build some sort of moat around ourselves. We buy the age-defying makeup and exercise and eat right because we want to stave off that trip to the tomb. We work ourselves to death and we socially contribute because we want to create some sort of immortality for ourselves and our actions. And yet, we must still, at one time, go into the tomb. And yet, in this passage, we see a glimmer of hope. That a tomb is empty, that one has gone in and come out. That Jesus is not there. The path to life leads into the tomb on Friday and comes out on Sunday. So what I want you to do is to look. Take a chance get close, open your expectations. Don't seal the stone, don't put it in place, don't turn your back. I mean, you made the trip to Busch Gardens anyways, you might as well take the ride. Because if you do, you just might find what you were looking for all along. Well, the Romans came with no expectations, but the women came with low expectations. Who are these women? We see in the passage Mary Magdalene and the other Mary going to look to the tomb. Now the other Mary is in different passages called the Mary of Joseph and James the Less. James the Less is widely regarded as James the son of Alphaeus, one of the disciples. So it looks like she was a mother of one of the disciples. Mary Magdalene we know a little bit more about. The scriptures say that Jesus had driven seven demons out of Mary Magdalene before. So she obviously had been a tormented woman who had been healed by Christ. And she was of some financial means, so she and some other women helped to finance and fund the uh, disciples out of their own means. Both of these women were familiar with Jesus' words about the resurrection, about who he was, about what he was going to do. And both of these women had seen this entire event play out. They were there at the cross. Because they were women, the Romans didn't care about them. They'd let them do whatever they did. So they were there watching him die. It says that they were there when Joseph of Arimathea brought the, the body and took it in with the spices. Apparently they weren't allowed to go, but they saw it. They saw him put in the tomb. And yet here we see them coming back, with spices and linen. And you scratch your head and you go, why? why are they coming back? I mean the stone is in place. You need 20 men to move the stone. He's already been embalmed. Why are you bringing this back? I think the reason that they're bringing that aloe and spices is because they didn't know what else to do. They hadn't had a chance to mourn Jesus themselves, to hold his body, to clean him, to cleanse him. Putting on the spices was a sign of respect and honor in that culture. The more spices, the more honor. You know, the 100 pounds was already an exorbitant amount that had been laid on Jesus, but they wanted to come and they wanted to give their honor and their love to him. But I say, wait, 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 wait. Hadn't you heard what Jesus said about the resurrection that he would rise on the third day and yet they're coming, not for the resurrection, but to embalm Jesus. See, if the Romans had no expectations, the women had low expectations. And in reality, what they're doing was not that different than what the Romans were doing. See, the Romans were trying to restrain Jesus, but the women were trying to contain Jesus. The Romans had created this prison here in this tomb, but the woman wanted to create a shrine. The woman, women came with low expectations and what they found blew their expectations away. Do not be afraid for I know who you are looking for, Jesus who was crucified. He's not here. He has risen just as he said. Come and see. And so the women go in and it says that they went away afraid yet filled with joy. Why were they afraid? They had just seen their hopes. Why were they afraid? They were afraid to hope. Their hopes had been dashed and they were afraid to get them up again. Perhaps you know this feeling of your hopes being dashed. Sure, you love Jesus and you worship him, but your faith has little hope in it. Because sometime in the past, you were going through a difficult time, whether it was a death in the family or sickness, sickness or economics or something and you cried out to Jesus but things didn't come out the way that you thought they were supposed to come out and it left you feeling hopeless and so what you decided was yes I will love him but I don't want to get my hopes up my expectations may be too great and so we put him in the tomb where he's safe where we can worship him at a distance well Jesus meets them in verse 9 and you notice that he says the, almost the exact same thing that the angel said? Do you find that a little strange? You know, go into, find my disciples, tell them I'm going to Galilee. He said almost the exact same thing that the angel said. See, Jesus didn't have to go. He didn't have to be there. The message had already been given. Why did he go? Because he wanted to say, don't be afraid. See, they were in coming to embalm a dead body. But instead, they ended up touching the living Christ. Jesus wanted to let them know that there is hope in him, that he knows the struggles that we have, that he can meet us in our time of need beyond our expectations. He's not a God who's in a tomb who's dead. He is one who is risen. Why have you come to the tomb today? Maybe like the women you've come to remember him, to embalm him, to worship him, yet at a distance. But Jesus isn't interested in remembrance. Jesus is interested in relationship. If you want to find Jesus, don't go to the tomb. Maybe you've lost faith and you don't feel that he can meet you in your time of the need. But Jesus didn't come out of the grave for the Romans. He didn't come out of the grave for the history books. He came out of the grave for you and me. The Easter season is the resurrection of Christ. Maybe, too, it can be your resurrection of hope that Jesus is more than someone you can worship at a distance. Well, that brings me to my third and final person, Jesus Christ himself. Why did Jesus come? If the Romans came to restrain Jesus and the women came to remember Jesus, Jesus came to reunite with those he loved. Jesus was resurrected for the purpose of reunion. Notice that the message is given twice of what to do. First, by the angel, go quickly and tell his disciples. He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you in Galilee. There you will see him. Jesus says the exact same thing almost, almost the exact same thing. Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. Do you sense the urgency? Go, go. That's where you'll meet me. But Jesus says something powerful. He says, Go not and tell the disciples. He says, go and tell my brothers. What does he mean when he's talking about his brothers? It's a strange term. We don't think about that. Jesus is the son of God. Why would Jesus be calling him his brothers? We have to understand why Jesus went into that tomb. The reality is we're all sinners in need of a savior. We've all done wrong we've all betrayed God we all haven't loved God with all of our heart mind soul and strength we haven't loved our neighbor as ourselves in the reality all the grave is is the death penalty for the most heinous of crimes death the wages of sin is death Jesus Christ went into that tomb so we wouldn't have to for the love of Christ compels us. For while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Christ went into that tomb and was dead and buried. He took our sins into the tomb and he brought out salvation. He, we went into the tomb enemies of God and we came out sons. See, God is bringing an inheritance. He wants to be reunited with his people because God has done something in Jesus Christ. Jesus has done something. He wants to tell his disciples what he's done when he comes out of that tomb. He wants to tell them that you are no longer enemies but you're sons of the living God and because you're sons, you are my brothers. What an inheritance to be brothers with Jesus Christ, sons of the living God. Maybe you come to the service today feeling like God doesn't care about you. If you look back upon your life and you say, what does my life amount to? What have I really done anyways? But friends, Jesus Christ has purchased for us the greatest inheritance of all, that we might be sons and daughters of the living Christ. So, today, when you go to the tomb, go not to look inside, but go to look for Jesus who is outside. Because, as much as Jesus wanted to run to go and see his disciples, Jesus wants to run to go and find you as well. Miracles still happen today. If you seek Christ with all of your heart, you will surely find him, for that is his promise this Easter Sunday. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you that you went into that tomb so we wouldn't have to. Lord, if we confess, we come to the tomb with low expectations. Lord, we want to worship you, but we don't really believe you. We don't really see you. We don't really hope in you like we should. Lord, I pray that you would shatter our expectations. Lord, you would meet us in our point of need, that your life, your exalted life, would intersect with our life. And we would know the joy of being called your brother as we go out and we live this life that you've called us to. We thank you, Lord, and we pray all of these things in Christ's name. Amen.